The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. Well, if you would, take your Bibles and go ahead and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to pick up uh, this morning, really, where we left off last week. How many of you know that chapter numbers in the Bible are not inspired by God, right? Uh, Paul's continuing this same thought where we left off last week in chapter 8. And for those of you who are not here uh, and those who can't remember, if you remember Paul last week in chapter 8 is writing to a, a church that uh, where some had come to a knowledge to recognize and realize that in their old practices where they had, before they came to know Christ, their old practices, they would participate in idol worship. And part of that idol worship was that they would sacrifice uh, meat to idols or other gods. And they would participate in eating that meat, and it was a form of their worship. But there were some within the group that had realized and recognized, they had grown in the knowledge of God to see that really there are no other idols as far as gods, that there's only one true God. And so they concluded, listen, if there's only one true God, then a meat that's sacrificed to an idol or a god really uh, hasn't been sacrificed to an idol or a god. And so they said, then we're free to eat that meat which has been sacrificed to idols. And Paul commends them and says, you know, you're right. There, there's no other god. And yes, you're free to eat that meat that's sacrificed to idols. But there were some within the congregation who had come out of the same lifestyle. And there was a great danger for them. They felt as though if they participated in eating meat that was sacrificed to idols, that their conscience bothered them. They recognized that this was something we did before we came to know Christ, and now it bothers my conscience that I would eat meat that's sacrificed to idols. And so Paul says, listen, those of you who have come to a greater knowledge to realize that there is freedom in Christ and those things that are not explicitly forbidden, those gray areas, those decisions that we have to make based on the Holy Spirit leading us, you've come to that place, but those things need not be imposed on others because they're weaker than you are and it could draw them back into that old lifestyle that they were once in. And Paul concludes the chapter when he writes this and he says, although yes, there's freedom in Christ and these things are a matter of conscience, I will in no way, he says in verse 13, participate in eating meat that's sacrificed to idols because if food makes my brother stumble I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble and what Paul is saying here is listen while I have the right to eat meat sacrificed to idols because there's a freedom in Christ there is a greater good that I'm looking out for and the greater good is the good of those within the body of Christ and I don't want to make anybody else stumble in an area that I know that I have freedom in and so he picks up this thought in chapter 9 when he starts by writing in, in the first verse when he explains the rights that he has not only as a Christian but the rights that he has as an, as an apostle. He's basically saying, look, these rights that I have don't entitle me to do things that are going to cause others to suffer or be led astray. We live in an age of entitlement, right? 
You see, that's one of the negatives, if you will, about living in a country or in the West where we have many rights. Sometimes we get the idea that just because we have the right, we're entitled to a lot of things. A couple of years ago, the Dairy Queen here in Conyers, I loved it. There was a sign out on the marquee where he was hiring individuals. And many of you know the owner of the Dairy Queen there. He's a great guy in the community. But he had on the sign, now hiring, entitled, need not apply. Are y'all with me this morning? Or do I need to break that down? Now hiring, but the entitled need not apply. And we live in a culture that says because we have certain rights, then we're entitled to everything. And, and Paul's saying, listen, as a believer, while we have many rights, we're not entitled to everything. And so he starts by saying, am I not free? In other words, I'm free just like you are. Am I not free? And then he says, am I not an apostle? And What Paul is beginning to lay out is, though even he has rights as a believer, there are other rights he has that come along with his role as an apostle to the church. But Paul's going to say, and he's going to, we're going to see where even though he has all of these rights, he lays aside these rights for the sake of others. Last week we concluded that the human being, although he was fully man, he was yet fully God, Jesus. He had more rights as a human being than any other person that's ever lived. But Paul lays out very clearly for us in the book of Philippians that even though Jesus had all the rights to deity, he was God himself. Although being God, he did not consider equality with God something to be held on to or grasped. But he laid aside those rights of deity. Why? So that you and I might have the opportunity for eternal salvation through his bloodshed. And so Paul, thank you. So Paul sets that example of Jesus laying his rights aside for the sake of the others. And now Paul is following the same thing. And he's going to say, listen, I lay these rights aside for the sake of the whole. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? And that may throw you off, but one of the requirements uh, as apostles were selected was they had to be an eyewitness of Jesus himself. And we remember in Acts where Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He had seen him and he says, look, I've seen Jesus. I qualify as an apostle. I've been called as an apostle. If to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you're the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Now, we've already seen in this book early on, in the first chapter, as a matter of fact, that there are some there in the church in Corinth that were beginning to maybe doubt Paul's apostleship, or they were beginning to compare Paul with other apostles. Remember, he started out in chapter 1. Some of you say, I follow uh, Apollos. Some of you follow Peter or Cephas. And others say, well, I follow Paul. And some say, I follow the Lord Jesus. And so there was a division there. And in the second book of Corinthians, Paul begins to elaborate that in chapter 10, where he has to really defend himself. And these believers in the church of Corinth had begun to take their their uh, exercise of their rights to such a degree that they believed that they were entitled to certain things. And the one of the things that they thought they were entitled to was an apostle that was a little better than Paul. You know, Paul would not have made it in the modern church today. You see, maybe they were saying, you know, we want an apostle that looks this way, that, that dresses cool, If I tried to dress cool, it just wouldn't pull off. Amen? Amen. 
Or maybe you want an apostle that speaks a little more eloquently than Paul does because Paul wasn't an eloquent speaker, etc., etc., etc. And they're beginning to make comparisons. And Paul's beginning to have to defend himself, but he's not defending himself. He's defending what God has called him to. And so he says in verse 3, this is my defense to those who would examine me. That word examine is a judicial term where he might be cross-examined to see the truth that's there. And so they were really scrutinizing him and examining him. Then he goes on to say, listen, as an apostle... Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Now, this is not referring back to chapter 8, eating meat sacrificed to idols. But what he's saying is, as an apostle, when we are there with you, and by the way, Paul invested more of his his apostolic ministry in the church in Corinth. A year and a half he stayed there under great duress and stress and all of that stuff. He had poured his life into these Corinthians. And he says, don't we have the right to eat and drink? And what Paul was saying is, we'll see in context, look, when we're there with you ministering, don't we have the right to have our provisions provided to us in this apostolic role as we come there to minister? You, you should, we have a right to demand that you feed and, and give us drink. And in verse 5 he says, do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of our Lord uh, Jesus and Cephas? And what he's talking about there is the church not only had a responsibility to provide for the apostles' needs, but they had, a provi- they had a responsibility to provide for their wives as they went along with them in ministry. And so Paul's laying out these rights. He says, or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? If you remember back in Acts chapter 18, Paul had met a guy named uh, Aquila and Priscilla that were there. And they were tent makers. And Paul said, not to be a burden on the church of Corinth, we're going to work with our hands. And then when they got off work, they spent hours communicating the gospel to them and going through the scriptures so that he would not be a burden on them. And they were, they were criticizing Paul because all the other apostles that came into town, they, they took advantage of these rights. They, 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 they used these rights, and they would, they would have their food and everything provided by the church, and they would bring their wives along, and they would have all those provisions met. But they were criticizing Paul because Paul's choosing to work with his own hands. Now, get that. So Paul says, look, are we the only ones that, that don't have that right? And then he uses these three examples that are kind of in, in uh, human terms of those that, that from what they do in a living, they are able to reap the benefit for what they do. And he says, listen, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Listen, I remember when I enlisted in the Navy, I expected that $350 a month pay that I got way back when I enlisted in the Navy. 350 bucks. Did you get that? You see, I wasn't serving, well, yeah, maybe I was serving for honor, but I expected to be paid for that. And then he goes on to use the illustration. He says, look, you don't expect a a vine dresser to work in the grape fields and dress the vines and take care of them and weed the the vineyard and prune the vines if he can't expect to be able to enjoy some of the produce from the work of his labor. And then he uses the last illustration here of a shepherd who tends a flock or a herder, or a cowman who goes out and takes care of the animals and brings them to a a maturity that they can be slaughtered and eaten. He said, that guy, he's the farmer. He expects to be able to reap something from that. 
And so he's using that analogy to say, listen, I've laid my side or my, my rights aside, and none of you, he's saying, go out and do what you do and expect not to get something in return. Let me ask you this. How many of you go to work in the morning just because you love the company you work for? Dennis, you're the only one. All right, then I'll tell Delta to stop sending you a paycheck twice a month, right? No, we expect to get a return in that. And Paul's saying, listen, I'm doing this. I'm laying my rights aside because I expect to get no monetary return out of what we are doing there. And then if that's not enough, he begins to lay some biblical grounds for the expectation that should be there, could be there, him and his apostle to receive back from the church as he's ministering to them. Look in verse 9. He says, do I say these things on human authority? No, does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses that you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. It is for oxen, is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. And so Paul's laying the foundation here that God has made a provision for those who serve as an apostle or in the ministry. The priest eats from that which is given in the household. And Paul's saying, listen, God said even when the ox is treading out the grain. Now let me put this in 21st century visual terms here. You see, the ox would be placed in the corral where the grain that had been harvested in the fields was put. And the ox would tread around, around and around and around, stepping on the grain. And as the ox would step on the grain, the kernels would fall from the shaft and it would be separated. And as the ox was laboring in the field, you did not muzzle the ox. The ox was free to eat all that was necessary for him to, in order to provide the means so that he might tread out the grain. And so Paul's using that analogy. So as an apostle, he had every right. And then he says in the next verse, the next paragraph there, he says, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. Nevertheless, even though we have those rights, we've not made use of these rights, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. And if, can, I, can I paraphrase what Paul's saying here? Listen, I am laying aside every right that I have because I don't want any of my rights to impede or to impair you hearing the gospel and me pouring into you the gospel. In verse 15, he makes that statement again. And we see where Paul lays out his rights there in the first 14 verses. And then he elaborates of his refusal to exercise his rights for himself in verses 15 to 18. He says here, but again, I have made no use of these rights. But let me tell you, I'm not writing these things to secure any such provision. In other words, listen, I'm not writing to you because I'm in want or in need. I'm not writing to you and saying, hey, listen, for all this time, I've set aside those rights. And as I calculate the time there, you owe me this much in back pay. He says, I'm not writing this to compel you to begin to exercise in giving to me. 
For he says in here, For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Paul writes pretty directly, doesn't he? I mean, listen, I would, I would rather die than to be deprived of the opportunity to boast in the calling that God's called me to for your sake. Notice what he says as he goes on there. For I preach the gospel. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no grounds for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. He's saying, look, I have no grounds to boast because I'm preaching the gospel. You see, the application in your life and in my life would, would be that, you know, I have no grounds for boasting that, that I've shared my faith with this friend or I've gone out of my way to serve that friend or I've gone out of my way to give that stranger a cup of water. I have, I have no reason for boasting. Paul says, the reason I don't have grounds for boasting is that necessity is laid upon me. In other words, there is a compelling force in Paul's life where he realizes that his life was transformed by Jesus Christ. His sins were forgiven, and all those things that Paul vested his hope in of his own works for eternal salvation. Listen, he realized that Jesus has done that all for me. He's paid that price for me. So the things that I do for him, there's a constraint that I can't help but do what he's called me to do. You see, the question for us is, do we recognize and realize, do we live in the fact that Christ has done that for us and there is a compulsion that we can't help but share that with others? And it's not that we want to share the gospel with others. It's not that we want to explain a better way to others, etc., whatever term you put to it, so that you and I can earn a notch on our gun. It's not that we do those things because we're hoping to earn some favor from God and say, God, look at me, I, I just did that for, for, for your name. No, man, there's something that's happened inside of us that we recognize how much He has saved us from. And man, that His love is so incredible. And how could He have loved me and saved me? My goodness, I want other people to know of this love and this forgiveness that's afforded to them as well. He asked in verse 18, for all the stuff that I do, for all this working as an apostle that I do, what's my reward? And he says this, that in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. What's the payoff, Paul says? Listen, the payoff is that I get to share the gospel. The payoff is that, is that I, as I pour into other people's lives, I'm able to see them transformed by the work of Christ and the Holy Spirit in their lives. And so where they once were, they're no longer there. It's not that they've worked their, their, their tails off to try to get better, but they've been transformed and being transformed by the Holy Spirit through the Word of God in life. Listen, there's no greater reward. Amen? Uh, we're having VBS this week, and it strikes me every year that I look at those that are serving in VBS were served some several years ago in Vacation Bible School, or many years ago. Listen, the payoff is not that you get a check at the end of VBS. 
Vicky, they're not getting checks, are they? No, they're not getting checks. The payoff is that you get to see the gospel transform lives. And you get to see the truths of Scripture as they're grasped and held onto and applied that people's lives are changed. And so Paul tells us why he refuses to exercise his rights. And then he kind of goes from the end of rights, like the end rights don't exist, to now here are the ends of rights. In other words, I want to use my rights for a better end, for a greater end, beginning in verse 19. He begins to say this, For though I am free, though I, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant of all, that I might win more of them. That word that's translated servant, you don't know the way that it's translated in many other places in Scripture. That same word that's translated servant is also translated slave. And so Paul's saying, listen, I'm laying aside all of my rights. I'm, I'm relinquishing my rights. I'm not exercising my rights, those things that I may feel entitled to. I'm saying, you know, I don't want those entitlements. Because I want to be a slave to everyone so that I might win many to Christ. What rights does a slave have? Zero. Nada. None. So Paul's saying, listen, I want to be a slave to all. None of them own me, but I want to be a slave to them willingly so that I might be able to win them to Christ. A slave has no rights. A slave does not have the ability to make his own decisions at the volition of his will. Think about that. We make decisions in our lives. Why? Because we want to. Because it's my will. It's what I want. It's what I desire. But the slave has no freedom to make decisions for himself. You see, a slave's will is dictated by his master's will. And Paul's telling us, listen, as a slave to become a servant of all... I, I'm, I'm going I'm to put myself in a position that I'm relinquishing my will. I'm relinquishing my rights. I'm relinquishing my entitlements. And I am marching to the orders of the one master. And that master is Jesus Christ. Even though if it cuts across what I desire and my will is. You see, he's learned. He's going to lay that down to them. Subject how a slave has no rights. Subject to his master's will, a slave has no monetary reward. The slave doesn't get a paycheck on Friday. So he can't gain anything for his service. A slave has no property rights. He has a place that's provided for him that he can sleep and meals are provided for him, but, but he can't own any of that. A slave in those days had no family rights. In other words, they may have a wife or a husband. They may have a son or a daughter. But in a twinkling of an eye at the master's whim, the, slave, the, the son or daughter, husband or wife could be sold out of that family unit and given over to another master. And so even in that, there were no family rights. You see how big this is? That's what that word means. 
Now, what's the application for you and I? The application for you and I is that we have been bought with a price. The precious blood of Jesus. And Paul says that we've been set free from the bondage of sin. While once we were in slavery to that, now we have been called to be slaves of Jesus. I can't think of a better slave master though, can you? He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He goes on to say in... After this, beginning in verse 20 through 23, where he says that, listen, to the Jew I became a Jew, so that I might win some to Christ. For those that were under the law, the Mosaic law referring to the Jews, I, I set myself subjugated myself to that so that I might win some to Christ. He says to the Gentile, the one that was not living under the law, listen, I became as a Gentile so that I might win some to Christ. And let me underline this. Because Paul says, listen, I didn't lay aside the, the law of God, but I laid aside, if you can put it this way, the law of man. In other words, Paul didn't become all things to all people and become a huge sinner. You, you get me? See, sometimes we misunderstand that. We say, you know, well, if I want to win them to Christ, I've got to participate in the same stuff they're doing. No, 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 no. There's no grounds for that. He's saying, but listen, I associated with them. I went out of what might be my social norm so that I might have an opportunity to love them, display the love of Christ so that they might come to know them. Jeff, I hope you don't mind. I'm going to use you as an illustration this morning. Several, several weeks ago, uh, we were in our real-life discipleship group class, and we were in the same group together. And we were talking about what, what, what's required of us or what's necessary for us to get into circles of individuals that we might not ordinarily be in association with so that we have an opportunity to show Christ's love to them and have an open door to be able to share our faith with them. And Jeff is an elementary teacher at Oak Hill Elementary School. And there was a gentleman there that's on the custodial uh, staff, if I'm not mistaken. And, and Jeff, uh, while they were always friends and said hey to one another, it never went any further than that. And so Jeff began praying and saying, God, I really want to share Christ with this guy. I want to show your love to him. And, but I'm not, I'm, I, there's some things that are different here. How can I cross over so that I might be able to befriend him so that I'd be able to share the love of Christ? And Jeff can't dribble a basketball. Jeff gets confused when you put a football with a basketball. Jeff doesn't like basketball. But this guy was really into basketball. And so Jeff began to look on the internet. He began to look at YouTube and look at the stats every week. I'm exaggerating this. That's a preacher's exaggeration. So anyway, but the bottom line was Jeff began to get interested in something that he had no interest in so that he might be able to bridge this gap between this other guy so that he'd have an opportunity, an inroad to be able to share. Now, that's a, that's a minimal thing. But the question is, what is it that you or I might need to do in order to engage those that are not in the same socioeconomic, that are not in the same uh, interest group that we might be in, that maybe look different, that maybe dress different? What is it that we need to do? That's what Paul's saying. Listen, he, he laid aside his preferences so that he might win others to Christ. 
we all have preferences, right? But sometimes it requires that we lay aside our preferences so that we might get into relationship with other people so that we can share Christ with Him. The other thing that I recognize in my life that I have to keep in mind is that I have to consider others better than myself in order to put myself in their arena so that I might be able to love them, befriend them, and share Christ with them. Can I be real candid with you? You see, sometimes it's hard to lay aside, set aside my preferences of folks I'd rather hang out with in order to go be with folks that are quite different than me in order to build a relationship to share Christ with them. Y'all hear me? It, it means that, that I've got to recognize and realize that, that every human being is created in the image of God. And I'm not any more special because I was created a certain way than the person who was created in a different way than I am. And that if we are compelled by the love of Christ, then we're willing to set those things aside so that it required Paul really refusing to be locked into any particular social cliques. Paul had a terrible time, man. He was locked in to the Jewish social clique. And you know his status before he came to know Christ. And I'm sure that Paul, we know that Paul took a lot of grief from those in his social clique in order to eat with Gentiles so that they might come to know Christ. Do you get the picture? The question for you and I is, is, what do we need to intentionally set aside in our own preferences and not hang on to our rights so that, for the sake of others, they might come to know Christ? The last thing that we want to point out here is that Paul wants to make the most use of his rights. Chapter 9, verses 25 to, or 24 to 27 Paul concludes this chapter by saying, Do you not know that all run in a race, but only one person receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I don't want to run aimlessly. I don't want to box as one box in the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to the others, I might should be disqualified. Paul's asking the question of us, are we, are we, are we doing this Christian life thing just to go through the motions? I don't, how, many of, how many of you are runners? I, I used to be a runner. And, and I didn't run just because I, I didn't enter races just because I wanted to enter the race. And I didn't pay the fee for the nonprofit just to help the nonprofit. Confession. Now, when I was running in races, it, it killed me 
especially the older I got, I wanted to be first in my age group. Are you hearing me? I didn't run just for running's sake. And so the question he's asking us, listen, are you just going through the motions, J-Mo, in your Christian life? Are you just going through the motions in this Christian life so that you can get from it the benefits that are afforded to you in it? Are you just walking in this Christian life so you can go to a church gathering and have all the things there the way that you want them and the way that make you feel good? Are you running this race for the sake of others is what Paul's asking. This last week I had the opportunity to go up to Cumberland, Kentucky Glenn Dyer, who many of you know, if you don't, he's in the first service, typically worships in there, in that service. But Glenn had a a good friend that had been in Cumberland, Kentucky for years, Terry and Angie Burkine. And many of you know them, Club 180, we've had a number of mission trips that we've taken there. Well, Terry got in touch with Glenn because he had heard of this Bible training center for pastors that, that we're doing. We launched in Liberia last month where we're training national pastors who never have the opportunity for any biblical education. I did the classes here on Tuesday night. By the way, can I put in a commercial? If you're interested in really going deep, uh, that God might use what you hear to invest in others, don't come if you're just coming to have a Bible study. But so that You might be invested in two so you invest in others. We're going to start a new round in September. It's there in your bulletin. Just mark that on your Connect card. I'll get back with you. But Terry had heard about this, and he invited Glenn and I to come up because he's burdened for these pastors that are in Kentucky and West Virginia who have never had any opportunity for biblical training. And and as a result of that, the the churches are weak, and because the Word of God is not being being taught there, disciples are not being made. And Terry has enough on his hands. He's been there for 12 years investing in kids' lives from elementary through high school and in the community. It's amazing what God has done there through one woman and his wife who said, you know what, we're going to leave Nashville, Tennessee, where we have a good life, and we're going to go to the hills of Kentucky, and we're going to really choose to live a life of poverty for the sake of others. But as I was there, I, I met four other men besides Glenn who had gone there with myself. And here's the picture. Uh, the big guy on the left is Glenn Dyer. But in 2002, Glenn met Terry. The second guy on the right. And Glenn laid aside his rights and his time to begin investing in Terry's life and discipling Terry. That was in 2002. Six years later, Terry leaves and he goes to Kentucky and Glenn's kept in contact with him, continues to disciple. But when Terry got there, Terry met one of the first men he met, the guy in the center, is a guy named Sam. And Terry had had his life invested in by Glenn, and, 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 and Terry said, you know what, I, I need to invest in somebody else to make a disciple. And so he invested his life in Sam, and Sam was equipped, and he got to the place, you know what, I need to pour into somebody else's life. I need to lay aside my rights. I need to lay aside my entitlements. I want to make this life count for something. So he found the next guy on the right, and I'll just call him Bo because I can't remember his name. And he began to invest in his life. And now he has taken a young man under his wings and he's beginning to invest in his life. Folks, this is what Paul's talking about. Paul's saying, look, there's there's such a greater joy to life than going after 
a crown that's made of juniper leaves and soon is going to wither and go away. So the question for us is this morning, what had we rather invest in from today to the day that Jesus calls us home? I don't know about you, but when I saw that, those guys standing there, and I looked at the investment, I, I couldn't think of any greater thing to invest in. We had the example of Jesus, where he laid aside his rights. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.